0: Well, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good that we get to open God's word together so that we might be changed together, that we might be transformed. And it is a delight that we get to hear from God and chew on his word as brothers and sisters. I don't know what your childhood was like, um, but having an older brother for me meant that uh, he had a certain amount of physical pressure that he would make me do uh, and say things that I didn't want to do. Anyone have an older sibling that did that? Was anyone the older sibling that did that? It's okay, you can say that. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I figured, Bernard. Uh, so I remember being pinned down uh, times where, where my brother would say, say this or you won't get up. So I did the only logical thing. I said it. Uh, one time I had to say sorry for him for something that he was certain I did that I, I actually, in reality, didn't do at all. Uh, but, but to say sorry uh, for something that I didn't do uh, and, and for him pressuring me to do so, that, that wasn't a gracious thing. Uh, it was manipulative and accusatory, right? Because if I said sorry, then that was admitting guilt. If I said sorry, that meant that I had to do something to make it up to him. But a good knee in the back quickly made me change my tune too often. Well, in the book of Job this morning, Eliphaz calls Job to repent, which sounds like a good and gracious thing, especially in Christian circles. But it actually isn't at all in this case. It was manipulative and accusatory because as we have seen time and time again, Job was not living in sin. And so Job's friends pressure Job to accept their wisdom, but the reality is that Job didn't need their wisdom, Job needed God. And so the question for us this morning is, will we be people who will look for the wrong thing in our suffering, or will we find relief in the only true and only place of true rest and hope that has to be found in God? Let's see what those differences look like together. So we've been in our Faith Under Fire series as we've been going through the book of Job, and and we really are going through every single chapter where instead of taking 42 weeks to, to look at a really week after week, a depressing story and depressing conversation, we're trying to truncate it into nine weeks. And so uh, we've been looking at this riches to rags life that Job has had. And and while he's searching for answers and and getting wisdom from his friends, we're in the third set of conversation that that Job is having with his friends, the last conversation set, actually. And the last time we hear from his friends, trying to understand and, and explain to Job why he's suffering. And remember, this isn't an academic paper that Job was writing it was him trying to figure out why he was in so much pain. Why there was so much anguish in his heart. What had happened for why his family died, why he lost his business, and lost everything that he thought was dear to him. Today we get to see a glimpse of where Job needed to go, and we, we see ultimately where he does go, but we, we begin to open up where he needs to go in Job's chapter 22 through 31. We really are going to go through all of them. We're not going to read all, all uh, 10 of those chapters. Uh, they take quite a bit of time, but we will talk about them and why they're important for our lives. Uh, but let's look at our verse of the series that, that we are memorizing together so that it will help us understand the book of Job. Uh, you can see those on your screen. They're in, this, uh, they're in the front of the bulletin. But Job 19.25, let's say that together. For I know that my Redeemer lives, And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Let's pray for our time. Heavenly Father, would you use uh, Job and his suffering and uh, the words of his friends and, and then Job's reply, will you use those, Father, for our understanding of you, for our trust in you? Would you use that to transform our hearts this morning, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, I think it's hard to summarize 10 chapters in, in 10 words or less uh, because it's easy to think, what in the world do all of these things have to do with each other? And, and where, where am I supposed to get out of a chapter with, uh, a sermon with 10 chapters in it? Here's what I think that if you get nothing else out of this morning, here's what I want you to walk away with. Here, here's the author's big idea here. Comfort in suffering only comes when wisdom brings us to God instead of to human information. Okay? Comfort in suffering only comes when the wisdom that we get brings us to God instead of to more human information. And we're going to break that up in kind of three big chunks. Uh, Let's look at chapters 22 through 24 together that that I've, I've titled The Just and Justifier. So this is the last cycle of conversations that Job has with his friends. And Eliphaz is, is first batter up, okay? He's in the batting lineup number one. And, and this time where, where he's had nuance and he's had some semblance of graciousness in his speech, he, he just throws that out the window. He's exhausted with Job. He's tired of saying the same thing to Job. So he just goes straight out and with full force and accusation towards Job. And so Eliphaz essentially says to Job, you are a terrible person. Everything that we think of that's terrible in our community, you are it, Job. Let me count the ways of how bad you are. And so in verse 6, he talks about how he exacts pledges from his brothers, how he strips them naked of their clothing. In verse 7, he does not give water to those who are dying of thirst. In verse 7, Job is accused of being withheld withholding bread from the hungry. In verse nine, he sends away widows without hope and it describes orphans as having been crushed by Job in verse nine. And so his summary in verse 10 is, see Job, that is why these terrible terrible things are happening to you. Because God sees everything and he forgets nothing and so if you walk the path of evil, then you too will die before your time and the righteous will mock you for the rest of their days the righteous remember in eliphaz's mind the righteous do not suffer and so because job is suffering he must be guilty and so in, in a last ditch effort eliphaz asks job this really important question in verse 15 in chapter 22 he says this will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod which is another way of saying job why don't you repent instead of going down this path of wickedness. And so then in verses 21 through 30 is this passionate plea for Job to repent. After all, repentance is needed when living in sin. We see that in verse 23. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver for when you will delight yourself in the Almighty. We we see Eliphaz saying these are good and true things. Eliphaz basically says, if you repent, Job, everything will go back to normal. Everything will be good again. Just remove injustice from your life. Give ear to God's wisdom for instruction. Delight yourself in the Almighty. Pray to God. Be humble. Be innocent. And nothing bad will happen to you. You'll, You'll be delivered. Well, there's a lot of good in what Eliphaz is saying here. But what's wrong with his speech, right? It's good for passionate pleas for repentance to regularly be in our lives. Eliphaz is right that evil is abundant. He's right that repentance is needed for sin. When someone repents, God forgives. He's right in that. So it might be good actually for us to, to, before I go any further, to consider how good those words are for us in our context. Friends, if you are someone who is living in unrepentant sin, if you are walking against Jesus, will you turn away? We know the end of the road that, that sin leads to, we know the driveway it goes to, right? The end of wickedness is to be cut off from God for eternity. But like Eliphaz says, if if we return to the Lord, we'll be built up. If we remove injustice from our lives, then God, if we make God more precious to us than gold or silver, if we delight in the Almighty, then when we pray to him, he will hear us, he will save us. He will deliver even the one who is not innocent through Jesus, who has taken our penalty and put it upon himself on the cross. Jesus died for our own wickedness so that we could have life through God in Christ. And so if you are in sin, friend, repent and trust in Jesus for the greatest confidence in this life of knowing safety with God for eternity. But Eliphaz isn't totally correct in his application of this. Remember, Job is an upright man. He still is not guilty of what he's being accused of. Job isn't living in sin, and so the advice for Job is actually unhelpful. But look at verse 2 of chapter 22 with me. Eliphaz opens up this conversation with Job, and he says this, can man be profitable to God? So Eliphaz is saying that, that even if Job was innocent, God doesn't care, because God doesn't need people, innocent or otherwise. Surely He who is wise is profitable to himself. He's saying God doesn't need Job. God is self-sufficient. God doesn't need anyone. God isn't dependent on anyone because he's the creator of the universe. And he's right. God doesn't need relationships, but he does desire them, doesn't he? After all, God is our king, but there's no king without subjects. God is our shepherd, but you can't have sheep with, or you can't have a shepherd without sheep. God is our father, but you can't be a father without children, right? God takes pleasure in us as his workmanship, as his creation. In fact, humanity, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. Above the skies, above the planets, above the seas, above the animals, humanity is the greatest part of God's creation. God has created people For his glory and for his pleasure. And it is pleasurable to God for our lives to trust him. It is pleasurable to God for us to be in relationship with him. And so if Job is a man who worships God only for what he gets out of God, well, then God's honor is actually defaced. Job's innocence will actually bring glory to God. Well, that's good for us to hear also, isn't it? That it matters whether we have a trusting relationship with God and continue to live in sin or not. Paul says that same statement. He says, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He says, by no means. It matters to God's glory in how we live our lives. So then Job's response to Eliphaz in chapters 23 and 24 pretty much summed up like this. Job longs for the righteous to have their names cleared, And then Job 24, he longs for the wicked to be punished by God. Because Job is certain that if he just had an audience with God, God would clear him of his name. But but everywhere that Job goes, he can't find God. He's, He's like someone looking for where is Waldo in a book, but God just isn't to be found. Everywhere Job looks, God isn't there. And yet he is certain of his innocence. And Job's correct in chapters 23 and 24, God is, is, is big. He does whatever he pleases. He's not able to be stopped. In fact, in verse tw- uh, 13 of chapter 23, Job says this, but he is unchangeable and who can turn him back? What he desires, he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me and many such things are in his mind. Well, that's really insightful and helpful for us. Because in suffering, we often try to replace God himself with answers. We feel comfort when we have the answers we seek, but but comfort actually isn't found in knowledge. Comfort is found in God, who, as our call to worship said, is our refuge and our strength and our very present help in times of trouble. So Job has been asking why this and why that and and why did this happen to me and why is this going on? But he's looking for comfort when he needs to ask for more of God. God is actually the only one we can cast our minds to for refuge and strength and help in trouble, whether we get the answers that we want or not. And so if we replace God with answers or knowledge, it doesn't actually make the pain hurt less. Whether we get all the answers or not, God will complete what he appoints for us, which means it's God that we need, not primarily information. I think this hit home for me really strongly when we were living in Canada and our second daughter Charlotte died. And so we did every single test that we could, every genetic test, every blood test, every, I just signed papers for as many tests as they could do because we were looking for answers. Why did, why did her heart stop? What, what, what was going on here? And for two years, they did tests. And afterward, do you know what they came and told us? We don't know. And so if we had been looking for comfort and hope for us to move on only when we got those answers, well, we'd still be looking for it. But instead, our comfort and our in the midst of our sorrow doesn't come in having all the answers. It comes in trusting in God. God's sovereignty and goodness is why we cast our burdens on God in difficulty. I think one way to simply do this is to pray each morning, Father, there's, there's nothing that's happening today that you're unaware of or is outside of your control. So Father, help me because you already see what's around the corner that I haven't even gotten to yet. Father, thank you for my assurance in Christ that every trouble that I am meeting today does not counteract your work on the cross. I think it's also good to meditate on things like Psalm 46, that was part of our call to worship. What a great psalm to find hope in Christ. In all of our suffering, we ought to also remember that God has said, that second part of uh, of verse 14, and many such things are in his mind that he appoints for us. God has many more things in mind beyond what we realize when we are dealing with our circumstances. Remember, we are part of God's world. God's not a part of our world. Job is failing to see that there could be things bigger than himself in what's going on. Because God's not part of our story. We are part of God's story. We are in God's world. We are in God's creation. And God's world exists due to God's will and God's power, not our own. And so when we realize that, it gives us an opportunity to see that there are things that could be happening in our lives that are way beyond us. That's the case with Job. And we know that God is sovereign over everything. And we, because we know that God also has his plan set out for each of us, because we know that God is good, that in everything, even in times of difficulty and suffering that we experience, it's not necessarily due to sin, but it's way more about the purposes of God that's going on. Maybe what we're dealing with is actually for the sake of other people. That's also the case with Job. And so friends, we should not discount God's wisdom simply because we do not know it. In Job 24, Job is upset because it seems like God doesn't keep regular office hours for judgment Evil runs wild, he thinks, and and God lets it just pass by. And so he says in verse 12, the soul of the wounded cries for help, and yet God charges no one with wrong. That should weigh heavy on our hearts, shouldn't it? After all, if we believe that God is good and just and right in all of his dealings, then For us to say that the wounded cry for help and yet God charges no one with wrong? It makes us wonder, is God unjust? Is God trustworthy for justice to happen? And I think it'd be good for us to recognize the difference between a grace period with negligence. They they aren't the same thing, right? Negligence implies unknowing about evil. Negligence implies ability to avoid evil, but willful avoidance of doing what is right. But we know that that's not God. God is not unjust or negligent. God is not forgetting the things that happen on this earth. Uh, We do see that this is a window of a gracious time for people to return to God. So if you are someone who has suffered great harm from someone else, if someone has hurt you in a horrific way, then hear me when I say that, that not only does Job understand how you're feeling, but we also know that God promises that that won't be the last word. We have already seen where Job affirms that God will one day make all things right. And so God is allowing a window of grace in order that more may come to faith in Jesus. And we have the promise that those who don't, There is a promise that in Christ's return, all evil will be finally vanquished and expelled and God's people will be joined with God where evil has no place, but only mercy and joy in Jesus will be there. And so it's not wrong to look for appropriate resolution as far as it is humanly possible, but our hope for justice should not only be in our days. Think of what Paul says in in, in Romans chapter 3 that God in his divine wisdom passed over former sins, meaning didn't deal with them right away, so that he could show his righteousness, that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so just because we see that God is not doing his judgment immediately, well, for us who who Struggle with sin, that's an immediately gracious thing. And it's a hopeful thing because it means that God is not forever going to be without justice, but that, in fact, he has dealt with justice in Jesus. At the beginning of the book of Job, Job was kind of put on trial, right? Satan accused Job that, he, well, he made the accusation that, that if, if these bad things would happen to Job, then he would curse God and and reject him uh, but we see that that hasn't happened. But what we do see is that now Job is trying to put God on trial, trying to understand, God, why are you doing these things? But we understand it's not a good thing to do. Uh, What Job is doing here is different than what we see in lament psalms, where where we see in some of the the psalmists writing, God, why are you so far from me? Uh, There's a difference between putting God on trial like Job is doing here and trying to understand what God is doing in the psalms. So the lament psalms are asking tough questions, but but they're doing so in the context of worshiping and trusting God. Worship is not the context here with Job. Job is just looking for answers without actually needing God. And that matters because Jesus himself is described as someone who came to help the oppressed. He gave attention to the marginalized. And we know that when Jesus returns, he will separate the sheep from the goats and and part among the goats will be people who were oppressive and evil to others. And so God is not himself what he later condemns in others. What we find is that comfort in suffering only comes when wisdom brings us to God instead of to human information. Let's look at chapters 25 through 28, this wisdom from on high. Bildad speaks briefly for the last time, and and his point is the same thing that Eliphaz has made two times. God is sovereign, God is pure, therefore, Job, you must be evil. That's basically what Bildad is saying again. Humans cannot be justified before God because according to verse four, they are but worms. How can someone little like a human be right before God and not wrong against God. Well, Bildad, again, is correct in principle, but wrong in applying it to Job. God is all-powerful. Yes, human righteousness pales in comparison to the glory of our awesome God. But we also know that God is not punishing Job for some fault on Job's part. So Bildad misses the mark, and he's unhelpful to Job, And the Bible's clear. People are not created as worms. People are created in God's image that gives people dignity and value that no animal on earth has. Humans reflect the divine glory like the moon reflects sunlight. The Bible's also clear that we as humanity have damaged our dignified status in our rebellion against God And so, in fact, in Isaiah 41, you might recall, God does actually call Israel a worm. But we also see that two verses after that, God talks about redeeming them and keeping them with him for eternity. And so God redeems Israel. He loves them enough to redeem them and gives them hope in a way that that Bildad has none. Uh, God may say, Israel, you're a worm, but I love you. Bill just says, Job, you're a worm, and I don't love you. <laughs> so Job then, for the next six chapters, decides to reply. But what he does is he really just highlights God's wisdom being above what we can understand, while still maintaining his innocence and, and wanting to have a face-to-face with God. And so in chapter 26, verse 5, Job says, The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. And basically what Job is saying is that God's sovereignty extends to the dead, to the realm of the dead, and the guardian of the dead. God maintains his created order in his wisdom and in his sovereignty. The problem with Job's friends' logic is is that it can't save. It has no power to save because it has no victory over evil. Evil will only be defeated by a wisdom from God who is sovereign over even death. And so there's great wisdom in the depths of the earth and the heights of heaven. But Job says, those are only the edges of the wisdom of God, not, not the center of it. N- now we On this side of Jesus coming to earth, we know the wisdom and power of God in the cross of Jesus Christ, which is wiser and more powerful than all human wisdom and power. That is the only wisdom that saves. Human wisdom is not all bad. In fact, some of it's really good, but it just doesn't compare to the wisdom of God. And so Job begins to list out this amazing list of amazing human accomplishments that show intelligence and and ingenuity in, in Job chapter 28. He mentions these mines for silver and gold that humanity is going down to the deepest parts of the earth, the furthest limit of darkness, places that no bird has ever seen, places that no amazing beast on the earth has ever walked. These are deep, deep down. Today, we would say, well, look at all the amazing human accomplishments that we have in in medicine or in food production or in technology or even space flight, right? Like this would be the picture of human accomplishments that we'd say today. But Job's point is that none of it, even the greatest of human invention, compares to the wisdom of God. Wisdom is not found in humanity It cannot be bought with gold or silver or the finest jewels, cannot equate wisdom. God alone knows wisdom. He saw it. God declared it. And so in verse 28, we see this. He saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So that means that the wisdom that we need when we face trials is to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The way we respond, the way we read verse 28 is actually like a litmus test for our hearts. It's crucial to the whole book because God is is directing our attention away from asking those agonizing why God questions and God is directing us towards himself. God doesn't lead us to all the answers we could want. Instead, he leads us to bow before him, he who knows the answers and calls us to trust him beyond our own understanding. Our eyes are to be directed to God. And so if we want to live in a world as wise people, if we want to be people who have understanding, we are called to seek the Lord over answers. This is a humbling reality. We're not to marvel at human technology or insights of human philosophy, but instead to marvel of God. We shouldn't insist to know answers to all of our questions. We are to bow in humble worship before the one who does know all things and therefore calls us to turn away from evil and trust him. This is the problem of Job's friends. Job asks these big and significant questions, but they're looking for answers as an object in and of itself. And Job thinks that the answers that would bring peace, but in reality, he needs God over his answers. Job cannot understand the reasoning that God has, but Job in his voice is passionately longing to be with God, to have face-to-face with God. And so to fear God and to turn away from evil, that is where Job will ultimately find comfort. And so Job 28, 28 gives us this affirmation that we do not need a secret of life. We need no mysterious spiritual law to take us to a deeper level spiritually because wisdom in the Bible is not a body of knowledge. It is a relationship. The wise have a dependent relationship with God. And so we are called, as Job was, to begin our lives of discipleship with the fear of the Lord and repentance from evil to continue to walk with God, exactly how we started it. Wisdom is living out the truths of the gospel. Remember how Paul describes Jesus in Colossians 2? Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Because Jesus, even more than Job, feared God and turned away from evil. And in his life and death and resurrection, the fundamental reality is that all the treasures of wisdom are to be found in Jesus. Wisdom comes in relationship with Jesus then. And it is only in Jesus that we ultimately turn away from evil. It is only in Jesus where we find hope in all of our suffering and that's essential for us as we study the book of Job. Because Job's friends look for wisdom in their own abilities, where Job definitively embraces the fear of the Lord by submitting to him in Job 42. And so we're not simply meant to read the book of Job and think, oh, poor Job. No, we are to recognize our need to trust God beyond what we know, beyond what we can understand, So that we can fear the lord and turn away from evil in our lives so if we study the book of job and conclude that we can live apart from god's word influencing all of who we are i think we've missed the book of job if we in our suffering only look for answers instead of god to behold we've missed the point of job if we walk away thinking that if we do good god will reward us in this life And if we suffer, it has to be because we've done evil, then we've missed the point of Job. But if we walk away from studying Job and know how Jesus has suffered undue punishment for our sakes and calls us to trust God in his wisdom that is beyond us, well, then I think we will have the book of Job. If we finish studying Job and we weep with those who weep and point people to the day of a future resurrection where all evil will be finally vanquished and we will be in the presence of God for eternity with only joy and hope, then we have the book of Job. That is the wisdom that we should not miss here. Comfort in suffering only comes when wisdom brings us to God instead of human information let's look quickly at these last three chapters job 29 through 31 this final appeal he makes his final defense and in chapter 29 job just longs for the good old days when everything was good okay it was so good he says in verse 4 i was in my prime uh my steps were washed in butter he says some people think that's weird i think it sounds kind of cool He says, the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, In verse six, he, he talks about how the most important people would stop talking when he walked into the room. Princes would shut their mouths so they could listen to the wisdom that Job had. He says, life was good. In Job 30, he says, but that's not how it is now. Life was good, now it's terrible. I cry out for you for help and you don't answer me. I stand, do you only look at me? And then Job 31 is where Job says, I am innocent, God, what is going on here? I think it's easy for us when life is good to think God must be happy with me. It's easy to believe that a wonderful life is all that it should be for those who are faithful in God to be in a good relationship with God must mean, should only lead to happiness and and a painless life and success in this life. But the Bible never promises that God's people will enjoy undisturbed blessings in this life. But actually the Bible promises that this world will bring both hardship as well as good things to God's people. And so until Jesus comes again, we will have hardship. We will all die, maybe preceded by painful illness. And before us, loved ones will die, parents and siblings and friends, perhaps even a spouse or a child. Life is full of difficulties, but we should not forget this truth in periods of blessings. Otherwise, we will be like Job, and we will set ourselves up for a horrible fall. Our hope is not in a painless life here on earth. Oftentimes, Christians must endure hardships of a fallen world today, but we can anticipate the joys of the future when God promises that he will wipe away every tear. Our certain hope is being with God in a redeemed world. It's hard for Job, especially because he says in chapter 30 that when his neighbors were having a difficult time. He didn't laugh at them. He met with them with tears. He wept with those who wept. His soul grieved with those who had need. He embodied what it meant to be a good neighbor. He was better than State Farm. Job was the type of neighbor that everyone wants. But on his day of hoping for good, only evil came. And his songs that he puts on repeat are only songs of pain and sorrow and weeping. And he doesn't understand. And so he says, God, what have I done to deserve this? In chapter 31, he says, I haven't lusted. I haven't slept with a married woman. I have not mistreated my slaves. I haven't mistreated the socially vulnerable. I haven't made gold by God. And so he says, I need to meet with you, God. This is Job's oath of his innocence. But he's no longer interested in hearing from his friends or lamenting his condition, He just wants resolution. The reality uh, that the innocent of suffering cannot be resolved by a dramatic declaration, even though Job tries to do so. And so the final words of chapter 31 are, the words of Job are ended. But as Christians, as we read this, as we read Job's words, we should immediately jump to the one who truly was only innocent and suffered. And that was Jesus. If anyone could protest his suffering, it was Jesus, right? Even while he was asking God to remove his suffering, he nonetheless voluntarily submitted himself to suffering in order to free us from our sin. And so because of Christ's work on the cross, believers may in this life suffer, but we will glory with God for eternity forever. So Jesus actually resolves Job's suffering and gives hope in our own. Comfort in suffering only comes when wisdom brings us to God instead of to human information. Answering why doesn't always make things better. But we do know that God, being a very present help in the time of trouble, being a refuge and a shelter for us, being a shield that we've sung about, that is where comfort comes in trials. That's where comfort comes when we are in suffering. Not always in knowing why, but in trusting the one who has created the universe. Trusting the one who sent Jesus to die in our place and to be raised from the dead for our justification. That is the one that we find hope in. That is the one that we find comfort in. And that is the one where we find our wisdom being lived out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for wanting answers more than wanting you. Forgive us for trying to give answers more than even pointing people to your sufficiency. Thank you, Father, that Jesus willingly went to the cross and suffered for us though he had done nothing wrong, though there was no evil in him, that he was completely without blemish or sin, and yet Jesus went to the cross for us who were full of sin, who were rebels against you, who had rejected you, and God, in your kindness, you brought us back to yourself in Christ. So thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Help us look to you for all hope even in trials, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What a day that will be when we will get to fix our eyes on Jesus, where our faith will become sight. Hear now our benediction from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's day. We are so glad to worship with you today.